by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Hebrews 3.13 Encourage one another daily. You are released. Well, there's my message in a nutshell. I've done it again. I tend to do that. I put my main scripture up front, and it tells everything that I'm going to try to convince you of. But that's today's message in a nutshell. Encourage one another daily. And it goes on to say, while it's called today. Is today called today? Are we still calling it yesterday? Is today tomorrow? No, today is today. So that means all the time, encourage one another. It's always today. Then it goes on to say, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, that's a big, bad world out there. And it's it's trying to bring us down. It's trying to lie to us, trying to entrap us, trying to bring us places we don't want to go. And you're going to need encouragement in this life. Every day. And so if you don't have a good friend in here, find you one that you can call up, that that you can hook up with as Bible friends and talk about the things of God and encourage you every day because you're going to need it because this world is out to get you. Today's message is entitled, Be a Barnabas. Be a Barnabas. You're saying, what in the world does that mean? Well, we'll find out. There was a little girl back in the 1950s named Mary. She had a cleft palate, you know, and it deformed her lip, and her nose was crooked, and her speech was garbled because of this condition. And uh, she was in grade school. And uh, sad to say, all the other students made fun of her, teased her mercilessly. Is that a word? They were always on her to the point where little Mary began to think to herself, Nobody's ever going to love me outside my own family. She just resigned to the fact that just my family's going to love me. They love me, but all the people at school or anybody in the world is not. But then the next year in her grade school, she got a new teacher, Miss Leonard. Now, Miss Leonard was just an average lady, but she always had a smile on her face. She was always encouraging. And little Mary began to, despite herself, began to like Miss Leonard. In fact, she began to love Miss Leonard because Miss Leonard would take time with little Mary, encourage her every day. Well, back in the 50s, they didn't have all the technology we have today, so they would do a hearing test once a year at the school to check to make sure the kids could hear good. And the way they would do it was simple. They would put the teacher over on this side of the room and one of the students on this side, and the teacher would whisper something, and the student from across here had to say back what the teacher had said to make sure that they could hear good. This is the 50s, okay? Well, one of the conditions with the cleft palate with Mary was one of her ears. She could barely hear out of it. And Miss Leonard knew her condition, and 
She didn't want Mary to have just something else that all the other kids could tease her about. So when it came Mary's time to stand across the room, Miss Leonard would normally whisper something along the lines of, the sky's blue, or what color are your shoes? But in a voice really too loud to be a whisper test, to give her an opportunity to hear, she said seven little words that changed Mary's life forever. She said, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. Miss Leonard was a Barnabas. And when I told that story, when I read that story, and when I studied for that story, and just now again, every time I say those seven words, I don't know what it is. It makes me just almost tear up. I wish you were my little girl. And I think to myself, why is this making me feel this way? And I think it's because that's the, the seven little words that all of us long to hear. Except for little boys, they might wish, I wish you were my little boy. <laughs> Maybe some of us all of our lives have longed to hear somebody want them. Somebody see value in them. I wish you were mine. We went to youth villages yesterday. And I looked at those little boys when we played, and I looked at those little girls in the next group where we played and ministered to. And I just wanted to tell them all, I wish you was my little boy. I, I wish you was my little girl. I wish I could spend my life loving on you. And I wish everybody could have that. One of those little girls got up and spoke yesterday. She said, can I say something? She was about to turn 18. She's been in there for a couple years now. And I thought she was going to rehash something. I just told them, encouraged the message, you know, and told them about Jesus and how he has a plan for their life. And I thought she would say something along the lines of what I was going to say. And she, but she got that microphone. She said, I'm fixing to be 18, and I'm going to be out of here. And I just want you all to know that I just want to get a job. And I want to one day get me a car and get me a house. And I just want to be a regular person. She said, I just want to be regular. And those little kids over there, that's their aspirations is just to be normal. It shouldn't be like that. And I was glad that we got an opportunity to minister there yesterday. I didn't wear my cape today, but I used to wear one. And you're thinking, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, let me explain it like this. My early experience at church when I was a kid, the church I went to, they were very sin conscious. In fact, they loved to, to point out that we're sinners, and, and if you had one, they'd point that out. And they, they did that because everything they did in the church, whether it was tithing, they'd get, get up here and give you a guilt trip. Everything was motivated by guilt. And I began to See God as this person that you bargain with in my life. That's the way I understood my heavenly father. I thought if I say to God, I'll, I'll give you this if you'll do this for me. And then what would happen? He'd do his part and I wouldn't do my part because I'm just a frail human being. And then I was always feeling guilty. 
And I'm going to be honest, it, it wasn't much better in my family. We come from a long, long line of guilt, professional guilt. Every request in my household started with, if you love me, you'd do this for me. If you love me. My five-year-old brother developed our family mantra. He used, he's five years old, and he's going around. Every time somebody says something he don't like, he says, you don't love me. You don't like me. Get out of here. What would drive a five-year-old to be operating in such levels of professional guilt as that? <laughs> I'm telling you, we were a guilty family. It was so bad. Say, how bad was it, Pastor? It was so bad that when we went on vacation, we went on a guilt trip. <laughs> All right. Our family motto read, if I died, then you'd feel bad. I'm talking, I come from a long line of guilt. So just naturally, I morphed into a cape-wearing supervillain named Captain Guilt. So y'all are glad I didn't wear my cap, uh, my cape today, right? I did. You can, you can ask all the people that, that used to know me how they referred to me as Captain Guilt because if, if people that played in the band with me long ago, you know, I would find something wrong with what you were doing to try to use that to motivate you. But let me tell you something. Guilt is a terrible motivator unless you're trying to motivate somebody to leave that's on your sheet if you're writing if you want to write it down if you're following along if that helps you i wrote that guilt is a terrible motivator it cripples every muscle that jesus is trying to build in his children it just works counterproductive to what God, how God is trying to, to get us to see ourselves. It's the devil that is the accuser of the brethren. It's the devil that points out all your faults, tries to bring you under condemnation, make you feel so bad. And he's not trying to motivate you to do anything good. But it's just as evil for us to try to motivate people to even do good if we're just trying to bring out their guilt and say, uh-huh, and motivate by guilt. Jesus didn't like man's idea of religion. Man had twisted everything that God tried to do in building the church. In Matthew 23, 25, he says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? hypocrites for you cross land and sea to make one convert and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell as you yourselves are see Jesus came to bear our shame and to take away our guilt now who are we to put it back on somebody you can speak the truth to somebody love, and you can point out some things they need to change. But if you're just there solely to feel like you're the guilt police, that is not of God. What we all need is encouragement. If you're going to point something out, you better have some encouragement to follow. 
What if somebody, just anybody, what if one Christian somewhere in Austin, Texas, would have said a kind word and, and took that bomber out and tried to invest in his life a little bit before he got to the point he wanted to send package bombs and all these things? What about the shooter in Parkland, Florida? Now, I'm not saying you can stop evil. I don't know, but I'm saying there was a much better chance that that could have been avoided if the church, if somebody in the church in those areas would have reached out and shown them a better way. You know somebody in the United States commits suicide every 16.2 minutes? They've got it down to the .2 minutes. That means since we've been at church, there's probably four people that's committed suicide somewhere in America today. We got to start helping people. You don't know what difference just a smile and a kind word might have made to one of those people before they decided to end their life. And we've all heard the stories of people who changed their mind because, you know, they were going home that day to commit suicide from school and they accidentally dropped their books and somebody helped pick up their books and befriended them and said, hey, why don't we get together and play some softball or something, you know? And they, they put their plans on hold and then they went on and lived their lives. And that moment that seemed so awful in their minds that the devil had built up to a point where they were ready to end it all was sliced right in half and dispersed by a kind word and a kind gesture. Who is Barnabas? Turn to Acts 4.36. Acts 4.36. Some of you are saying, Pastor, uh, you kind of had your cape on Wednesday night when you was talking about reading the Bible. You was making us feel awful bad for not reading our Bible. Well, y'all just, hey, I ain't, I ain't licked this thing yet, okay? If y'all see me pulling a guilt trip, you call me to the side and say, Pastor, you need to take that cape off. <clears throat> Acts 4.36. <laughs> Isn't it funny how the thing that you used to, used to be your weakness, like I used to be Captain Guilt, but now I find myself being a really good encourager since I've been following the Lord. He takes your worst thing and he makes it your best thing. But you got to be careful not to dig that old man back up out of the grave and put that cape back on him. Acts 4.36. It says, for instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So his real name was Joseph, but he must have had a personality that was so John Jeans-like, if I, if I may say, that they changed him, gave him a nickname. Like I call him Jumpin' Johnny, you know. You got to give a man like that a nickname because he's a Barnabas. He's the son of encouragement. He says he was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the Isle of Cyprus, and he sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. This is the kind of guy you want in your church. He's spreading good cheer. He's not getting down on everything that doesn't go his way. He's got kind words to say to everybody, and he's all in. Man, I'm going to sell a field. I'm going to be part of this. 
I'm going whole hog with this. I, when he finds something he believes in, he goes for it. And guess who it was that vouched for old Saul? Now, you know Saul's story, right? Saul was a Pharisee, and he was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ because he was a Jew, and he thought this was a sect. He thought this was a cult, and he was trying to wipe out Christianity. He didn't know about that Jesus had really risen from the dead, and he was on the way to Damascus to, to uh, persecute Christians there, and God knocked him off his high horse with a blinding light. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, It's Jesus whom you're persecuting. In other words, if you persecute Jesus' church, he's saying, You're persecuting me. He'll knock you off your high horse. Well, he did. Well, anyway, you know the story. Paul got saved. Well, Paul studied sometime, and if you read through it, it might have been years and stuff. We just see the stories, you know, in the next verse, and we think that happened within a few days or something. But some of that, there's years in between. But anyway, Paul studied for a time, and then when he came back to Jerusalem, he wanted to meet with the apostles. Now he's a Christian. He's already been preaching the Word of God in Damascus. And so he comes back, and he wants to meet with the leaders of the church, Peter and John and James and the, the 12 apostles because he's excited about, you know, b becoming a Christian himself. But the apostles like, uh-uh, I ain't meeting with that dude. He's the one throwing us in prison. He's the one stood at Stephen's feet and approved of him getting stoned. It's a trick. That Saul guy is just trying to infiltrate our ranks and find out who our leaders are so he can get us. But guess who? brought Saul in and vouched for him. Barnabas. Let's read in Acts 9, 26. It says, When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So he's vouching for him. You know, that took great courage. Because what if Barnabas was wrong? What if this was a trick? And he put himself on the line for, for Saul. And you know who Saul is, right? He would later have his name changed to Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that we read by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. So this is an important man, and the guy that got him hooked up with the church because he couldn't stand himself. He was always helping the little guy, helping the guy that needed the underdog. It was Barnabas. He put his name on, his on the line for him. Turn to Acts 11. We're taking a little journey through Acts here. Now Barnabas... Over a period of time, with his good nature and his wholeheartedness towards Jesus, they began to trust him in the early church. The Gentiles, that's the people who were non-Jews, began to believe in Christ. They began to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Even the Lord dealt with Peter about that. He said, don't call those that are clean unclean, because I've made everybody clean and everybody can receive this gospel message. And so the Gentiles started getting born again. And when the church heard about it, they were like, I don't know about this. 
Let's check this out. Let's see if these Gentiles even know what they're believing in. Make sure they're not going haywire. Because sometimes you've got to check on some folks, especially new folks. So in Acts 11.22, it says, When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, that all these Gentiles were getting saved, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They said, let's find a trusted guy that, that we can count on to come back and tell us the truth. So when Barnabas arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was indignant. He was mad. God, you're going to let these Gentiles get saved? Is that what it says? Has anybody got a Bible out there? Is it? <laughs> no. He was filled with joy because that was his heart. And he what? Encouraged. Say encouraged. He encouraged those believers to stay true to the Lord. He was excited when people got saved. It says Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the ability to see people like that. And he was strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. And then something funny happens. Barnabas has gone into this area. He's sent there to sort of like pastor these new believers. And then it says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. Large crowds of people. See, Barnabas could have stayed there, and he could have taught them by himself, and he could have said, look what I did. I gathered all these large crowds. It's been me by myself. Man, if I go get Saul, he'll probably get some of the credit for this. But no, that wasn't the way Barnabas saw life. He was humble enough to ask for some help, and he knew that two together would be much stronger than one by himself. And he went and got somebody he knew that would help. He wasn't worried about credit. He was worried about large crowds being saved. And it says, ironically, that at Antioch, that the believers were first called Christians. That's when they first coined the term Christian. Before that, they were called followers of the way. They didn't know really what to call us. Jesonites or something, I don't know. But at this town where Barnabas was the pastor, so to speak, they were first called Christians, which means little Christ, like their master. Isn't it funny that somebody like Barnabas would inspire a term like that? You're never more like Jesus than when you're an encourager. When you're filled with joy, you're overflowing, you're bubbling, you're excited about the things of God. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. That's where they got the name Christian in Barnabas's church. Turn to Acts 13. Well, I'll just tell you in Acts 13. In Acts 13, the Holy Spirit calls Barnabas and Paul, who he's now called, God has changed his name to Paul, he called them to go on their first missionary journey. That's what it's called. If you look in your maps and stuff in the, in the Bible, it'll often say Paul's first missionary journey. Well, it was P Paul and Barnabas, actually, that went. 
But the funny thing is, is, is Barnabas has this cousin who's a new believer. He probably got him saved. I don't know. His name is John Mark. And he says, come on along on this missionary journey, John Mark. I don't know what Paul said about it. He, he must have been okay because they brought him along. And they get to preaching, and they're on this island, and they go to every little town on the island. And by the time they get to the end of the island, John Mark, as a new believer, he's had enough. <laughs> Dude, I did not know what I signed up for. You guys are getting, they're chucking rocks at you. We're having to get lowered in baskets out of the city gates. They're coming after us. This is dangerous work. I got to go. And John Mark left them. All the work, whatever share of the meals he was cooking or whatever, he gone. But it did not stop Paul and Barnabas. They kept up and they finished this whole missionary journey. If you look in your maps, you can find exactly where they went. But old John Mark got homesick. He went home. So after they finished the journey and they come back to wherever they were preaching, I forget exactly, and they stayed for a while. Then the apostle Paul goes back to Barnabas and he said, Barnabas, you know, we've planted all these churches on our first missionary journey. We can't just leave them out there. We've got to, they've got to have some oversight. We're apostles, and that's what apostles do. They, they overlook the, the work of the ministry. You know, you have pastors in the local locations, but apostles oversee. He said, let's, let's go back again and make the journey again. Dude, our second missionary, Paul's second missionary journey, and let's check on the churches. Barnabas said, let's go, brother. He, Barnabas is always in. He said, I'll bring John Mark. He's ready now. And Paul said, uh, no. <laughs> Acts 15, 36 tells the story. It says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed, and he wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. Now, in defense of Paul, sometimes you've got to put the mission above the individual. You've got to weigh things out and see what's going to further increase the kingdom of God. You've got to make tough calls here. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. But here's where it gets ugly. In verse 39, their disagreement. Now, how do, you, how do you have a disagreement with somebody as nice as Barnabas? It can happen, right? We're all human beings. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Sound like they got into it. Paul and Barnabas, best friends. Oh, Paul didn't want John Mark to come back. He was mad. He wasn't willing to let it go just yet. He wasn't going to put himself in that position. He's not leaving us on the trail again. Maybe a little of the old cape-wearing Pharisee that Paul used to be started coming out. I don't know. I can't judge. Maybe, maybe not. But the division was so sharp that it goes on to say that Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, he went one way. And Paul took Silas and went another way. So they parted company over this. That's ugly, ain't it? 
And you thought Apostle Paul was perfect. We're all just human beings. Barnabas, he wasn't willing to give up on John Mark. You know, Christians shouldn't kick you when you're down after you've made a mistake. Christians shouldn't, shouldn't eat their young. And see, what we talked about last week, if you remember, was the different stages of spiritual development. And that's all it was. John Mark was just a, a baby Christian on that first missionary journey. Barnabas recognized it and didn't throw him out before he had a chance to grow up. He was willing to work with him in his development. He just understood that sometimes children will quit on you. How many's got children? You tell them to do something, they do it for a minute with enthusiasm, but then they, next thing you know, where'd they go? You got to go hunt them down. You know, so you learn to give them little tasks. And if you're smart, which I probably wasn't, as I'm sure somebody might in here might can attest to, you don't just make them do it and stand over them with the, with the guilt cape on. You give them little tasks that they can do successfully, and you encourage them so the next time they'll want to do something else. That's a little parenting technique I thought I'd throw in for free. But you can't quit on them. Either way, you can't quit on your children. And we shouldn't quit on young Christians. Some of you in here have started working in the nursery. Then you said, well, this ain't as fun as I thought, and you quit. Or it got tough or something. Hey, we still love you. Keep coming. God's still working in you. You know, we'll find something else until you can get past this stage. Somebody's got to show a little mercy. If you're not going to find mercy in the church, oh, my goodness, where are you going to find it? Because you ain't going to find it out there. You know, after I got born again, I told you I got saved, saved. I always say that. That's a, that's a term I coined, saved, saved. That means I got saved with a vengeance. I was so happy when I got born again that I was forgiven, that I was just all in. I was like crazy for Jesus. But I was playing in the nightclubs at the time in a band. And uh, I wanted to quit that and just play in the church. I was doing both at the time. But the Lord said, stay with you guys. And as you know, those guys all got born again, and they're your praise team right now. But So I was doing what God had told me, but we were still playing in the nightclubs. I was, he had, still had me with them because they were making money, and they weren't ready to quit that yet. And I don't remember what it was, but I was in those nightclubs. I was preaching to folks. I had stopped drinking. I had stopped womanizing and whatever you do in those nightclubs. I had stopped it all. I was, I was like Apostle Paul and, you know, right in there and, and preaching, and, and we was mixing in Christian songs in our sets, you know, and doing all these things. I was trying to reach out right in the heart of the, the enemy's camp, you know. But this one particular night, I remember, I don't even remember what I did, and if I did, I wouldn't tell you in front of my wife. But, no, I don't, I don't even remember what it was, I promise. But all I remember is being such an on-fire Christian, loving the Lord so much that when I was driving home from the club that night, I, whatever I had done, had just wretched me like Peter when he went out and weeped bitterly. I was crying in my truck on the way home from that nightclub. God, here you died on the cross for me. You saved me. You did all this for me. And look what I've done. I've done this and I have, you know, and I have messed up and I have 
not appreciated you, and I was just sure that it was going to take months. My guilt, you know, from the old days was coming up. You know, I was just sure that I was over with. And there was a presence entered into my truck that I can only describe as glorious. And there was something that just told me, you're good. I got you. You're forgiven. That's all you got to do is ask for forgiveness. We're going to keep working at this. It's going to be okay. And I'll tell you what, until then, I'd been telling people about God's mercy. I could have preached a message on it. But I experienced it right then and there like I, that in a way that made it so real to me that I can't even explain to you today. But mercy goes hand in hand with encouragement. They go together. And we all need both. And we all need to give both. We need to give mercy and encouragement. Because the best time to give encouragement is when somebody needs mercy. <laughs> Instead of pointing our fingers at those who are struggling, we should give them a helping hand. It's a different mindset. Is this helping anybody? Hmm. You may say, nobody encourages me. Well... My Bible says you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. <laughs> Why don't you start sowing some encouragement into someone else? John, does anybody ever encourage you? Because you're an encouragement to everybody else, right? Yeah. You want encouragement, you start giving it. It'll start coming back, I can assure you. But even if it don't, you got to stir yourself up like David did. He lost his family and everything. They were taken off captive. All his men were fixing to turn on him and stone him. But it said he stirred himself up in the Lord. And he found his encouragement in God when there was no other encouragement to be found. And God told him, go get your stuff back. And he did. You can find all the encouragement that you need from the Lord himself. If nobody else is encouraging you, Jesus is always on your side. Jesus didn't give up on the woman at the well, though she had had five husbands. Jesus didn't give up on the woman cast at his feet in the act of adultery. Well, not in the act while he cast at her feet, but... He encouraged both women to make some changes, but expect resurrection. A coming of life out of this. See, God is always trying to get us to expect a resurrection in our life. He had Zacchaeus so excited about the things of God, Zacchaeus gave away half everything he owned. This was a tax collector in just a few minutes with Jesus, and he's like, oh, y'all can have it all. Now, you're talking about an encourager. Jesus was an encourager. Peter denied him three times. Jesus could have come in there. You know how that made me feel, Peter. It was terrible. Here I was. I was being whooped on. I needed a friend. I saw you. And what did you do? 
You just said you didn't even know me. But Jesus didn't do any of that. He, he said, Peter, do you love me? He knew the answer. He asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? One for each time that Peter had denied him. And Peter's like, you know I love you, Lord. And he said, well, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my lambs. Each time that he restored, after he restored Peter, immediately he get, got him back on purpose. He restored him and he gave him purpose back in his life. Even before he denied him, he told him, Peter, when you've come back to yourself, when you come back to the fold, strengthen your brothers. But every time he said, you love me? And he let Peter say, yes, wiping away that denial. But he put him right back on track. Then go out and love somebody else. Don't forget to share this love. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. This is a good message. I don't care what you think. John 16, 33, Jesus said, Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, Jesus doesn't sugarcoat anything. He tells you the truth. He's not pretending that nothing bad will ever happen. He's saying things are bad are going to happen, but you can have a resurrection afterwards. You can get through it. You can overcome it. I've overcome the world. I've made you more than overcomers in Christ Jesus, as the Bible says. And the funny thing is, I think old Paul learned a thing or two from Barnabas. Do you believe me? He grew into a wonderful encourager himself. I think he might have encouraged a few prisoners that night when him and Silas was singing at the midnight hour and the bars shook and the doors were flung open. I think a few people might have got encouraged that night. <laughs> then afterwards it says in Acts 16.40, when Paul and Silas left the prison, what did they do? They returned home to Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them some more. Paul was turning into quite the encourager. In fact, his writings in the New Testament have probably encouraged more people than anybody that ever lived. It's just short of Jesus. You think about it. We're sitting here encouraged right now because of the things that Paul wrote down and probably in a prison cell when he wrote it. Come on now. An encourager. And sure, shortly before Paul's death, he wrote to his spiritual son Timothy because why? He was always discipling people. He was on target. In 2 Timothy 4.11, he tells Timothy, this is, this is his last letter, they believe, before his passing. He said, only Luke is with me. Bring John Mark. Bring John Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. So Paul, who wouldn't even go on the second missionary journey with this John Mark, has begun to see, Barnabas has helped that little kid grow up, and now he'll be helpful to me in the ministry. He's probably restored his relationship with John Mark. Now he's encouraging John Mark. Now he's asking for John Mark to come encourage him. Are you serious? Don't give up on the John Marks in your life. 
You can be a Barnabas. There's not a person in here that's not capable, capable of being a Barnabas. You start just by praying and saying, God, give me a heart to be an encourager. I don't want to be sad story every time they see me. They, they see me and they say, oh, we got to go before he starts throwing a negative blanket on everything. No. People should run to you like they do Don White over there. Good night. You want you your heart to do good like a medicine? He'll make you merry. Just, just hang around him. He'll tell a joke. It won't even be funny, but just hearing him laugh will make you laugh. <laughs> he, he's a Barnabas. Ask for eyes that see the good in folks and not just point out the flaws and the things that you wish they were. They're focusing on faults. Train your mouth to be like Caleb, positive and encouraging. I'm telling you, that station is not as successful as it is because of that pop bubblegum music they play. It's because they're positive and encouraging, and people say, I can tolerate the music that just makes me feel good. Maybe you like the music, I don't know. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Make new habits in your life. Say, Get up every day and say, who can I bless? Who can I encourage today? I'm telling you, in your encouraging, you will be encouraged. There's nothing encourages me more than encouraging someone else. I found the joy of encouraging. I wish I could find that cape. I'm just going to throw it away. Learn to use the healing scriptures like a bomb. Use the scriptures. They mean so much to people because they know it's from God. Romans 15, 4 says, Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Man, the Word of God. If you've got nobody else, just go to the Word and read it for a moment. You can even read the Psalms where David is lamenting at the first and said, Oh, uh, all my enemies have chased me down. The floodwaters are coming over my head and all these things. But by the end of the, the verse, he's already, But my God has come to the rescue. And here he comes again, riding on a white horse, taking away this and winning the battle for me. I mean, he encourages himself as he's writing the psalm. And as you read it, you see the real, the truth that we do face struggles. We do face hard times, but we do have an answer. We do have the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Word of God was not meant to be used as a sword against each other. It's a sword against the devil. <laughs> Michael Hoodman wrote this. I thought it would kind of sum up better than I could. It said, without encouragement, life would soon feel pointless and burdensome. Without encouragement, we feel overwhelmed, unloved, that no one is concerned with our welfare. So the Bible tells us to encourage one another, to remind each other that God loves us. That's pretty simple. That we are treasured. That our struggles are worth it. Encouragement from the Bible gives us the will to carry on. It is a glimpse of the bigger picture. It prevents burnout. 
It can save us from believing lies. Encouragement helps us to experience the abundant life. And that's what God wants for us. Now, you've heard of Will Rogers. Will Rogers says, we can't all be heroes because someone has to sit on the curb and clap as they go by. We're all shooting for the hero, and when we don't make it, we're all depressed. How about you let God choose who the heroes are going to be, and you be the clapper until then? Encourage somebody else to succeed. As a leader, I am finding more joy than me taking on some project and seeing it fulfilled and, and, and done right, and I get all the credit. No, I take more joy in seeing one of the leaders around me rising up and doing something and making it successful, and I can say, look at that boy go. Look at that girl go. And I take my joy in others' success. There was a lady, she heard a scratching on the front door. She said, what in the world? She opened the door and looked out, and there was this little raggedy old dog out there she had never seen before. It had her newspaper in his mouth. And she said, hey, boy. She took it cautiously and patted him on the head, and he let go. She said, good boy, good boy. You brought me my newspaper. Good boy. That's a good doggy. Thank you. And she shut the door and went back in. The next morning, scratch, scratch, scratch on the door. She goes out. She opens the door. There's eight newspapers laid around that same strange dog. She says she spent the next morning telling, getting the neighbors their newspapers back. Let's be an encouraging church. Let's encourage one another. If we did, the world would be lining up at the front door, scratching to get in. I'm telling you, these principles of God, they should draw people automatically. When you're living as a Christian, you're reflecting God's glory. Man, we don't have to work hard to grow a church. We just need to be Christ-like. Let me finish with this scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. If this don't ignite your wood, your wood's wet. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God chose to save us. There's another one of those places we could say. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Woo! Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other. So encourage each other and build each other up in light of what we just said. Encourage one another and build each other up just as you were already doing. Carry on, my friends. Carry on. The news is in itself is good enough. You have everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him. He's your high tower, your refuge, your place of safety. He anoints your head with oil. Your cup runneth over. He provides a meal for you in the presence of your enemies. He loves you 
with an unconditional love. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. You just need to learn how to receive it and how to give it out and to be a conduit of that encouragement to be a Barnabas. How many wants to be a Barnabas? How many's tired of wearing the cape? So many, the devil has got that carrot, you know, and you can be a hero. You can be the hero. You can be the hero, but somebody has to sit on the curb and do the clapping. And I think those sitting on the curb clapping are the heroes in God's eyes. If you're a hero, that's fine. To whom much is given, much is required. But the rest of us, we can do a lot of clapping in the meantime. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.